wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. everyone it's joe welcome to a quirky journey this week um, we're really excited to have some really interesting things to tell you um, so you know we've got to give you a bit of a news update before we start the podcast because there's some great things happening um, this coming week actually marks five years um, five years ago when my first cookbook was released quirky cooking was released in um, the first week of may five years ago. So that's pretty exciting. Um, it's 10 years for the Quirky Cooking blog. And I had my birthday last week too. <laughs> so lots of birthdays, lots of exciting things happening. Um, so we do have some more giveaways coming up to celebrate both um, 10 years of Quirky Cooking and five years of the book. So keep an eye out on Facebook and Instagram because that's where the giveaways will be um, shared. All right. Um, we also have some exciting things coming up with events. So in case I'm not sure if I've mentioned it, I've had too much going on. Um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned on the podcast anyway, that I'll be doing an event with my good friends, Danny Valent and Fleur Sharp down in Brisbane in June. So this is a one-off event it's hard to get the three of us together. I don't think we've ever done anything, all three of us together. Um, I don't think we've even been able to be at an event all together, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Danny Valent is a food critic down in Melbourne for The Age, and she also is a food writer and she travels and gets amazing recipes from all over the world. And you've probably seen her recipes online and her writing, um, and she is doing cooking um, demonstrations and workshops around Australia and overseas. And she also holds um, restaurant dinners where she gets a chef to showcase either a certain theme or, um, you know, whatever they do best and using the Thermomix and teaching people how to do really creative stuff in their Thermomix. It's a lot of fun. So she has um, an online program and we've talked to her before. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so you may like to look up Danny Valent, especially if you have a Thermomix and want to be more creative. Um, so she'll be there. And so will um, Fleur Sharp, who is a really experienced Thermomix presenter. And she is um, she has a business called Cook, Live, Love, where she helps people learn to use their Thermomix and... Um, yeah, again, another very creative cook. And we're going to be talking about how to simplify your cooking but still be creative and have delicious meals without all the stress. Um, and so this is a really cool workshop, one-off, um, lots of exciting things planned and giveaways and goodies and, um, yeah, it'll be so much fun. So if you can come to that, it's in Brisbane on the 15th of June and you can find the details in the show notes and also if you go to dannyvalent.com I think it is let me just double check that dannyvalent.com events you'll find um, you can book it online on her website um, so we've also got some more exciting things coming up because I'll be cooking at the hope for health together retreat which is coming up in June as well 
from the 16th to 28th. So um, I'll probably be there for like the last 10 days. I don't know if I'll manage the whole time, but I'll be organizing the menus and recipes again. And I'm putting together some volunteers to help in the kitchen. Um, So we probably have that all sorted out by the time the podcast goes up. But if you're interested in learning more about Indigenous culture and learning from them as well as helping them towards better health, because as you know, um, in Indigenous communities, the health is really poor because of the poor diet. So at these retreats, we aim to teach the Indigenous people um, how to eat well, um, how to look after their health, and also learn from them about their culture and their, their bush foods, and bush medicine and Um, all sorts of interesting things. So if you're interested in coming and supporting this project and also um, supporting a younger person to come as well with you to the retreat, um, have a look at the link in the show notes or go to Hope for Health. Um, I'll just find that. Uh, Let's see, we've got, oh, here we go, hopeforhealth.com.au and you can find out more about them there. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's, it's going to be a busy June. (laughs) Um, We've got uh, an exciting product coming into our quirky store next week. So for those of you who love camping or slow cooking or just want to save money on your electricity bill, this is something that you will want to see. Um, It's called a wonder bag. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but Um, You can get something cooking in a pot and then you take it off the stove and you put it into this wonder bag and seal it up and it will keep it hot for hours and it works like a slow cooker but without any electricity. So, um, you know, if you're camping, you can start a stew cooking, for instance, take it off the fire or the gas, put it into the wonder bag and leave it till dinner time and it will stay hot and be nice and soft and ready to eat at dinner. So this is something we're going to have in our shop from next week. So if you'd like to have a look there, you can find our shop. Just go to the Quirky Cooking website and click on shop. Okay, so um, what else do I have to tell you? Um, Oh, I wanted to remind you about the podcast that we had last time, two weeks ago, um, with Helen Marshall of Primal Alternative. And she was telling us about, well, first of all, we talked about how to – you know, really find work that you love and that you're passionate about and that has purpose in it. And this is something that I think is really important because we can get stuck in a job that we don't love and um, it can really actually bring our health down because of the stress levels or because we're just not happy in our work. Um, and it can really affect family and relationships and your well-being And as much as possible, it's great to be able to find work that you really believe in and you really feel like you can put your heart into and love. And I know for a lot of us, that's difficult. Um, Maybe also you may be in the stage of life where you're just going back into the workforce and you feel like you've lost a lot of skills because you've been out of it for a while with kids or something with maybe ill health and you're trying to find something that will work for you. Um, So we talked about this in our last podcast with Helen and um, talked about the business Primal Alternative, which is a franchise that you can buy into for only $5,000. And, you know, that's just the most amazing opportunity. And Helen is um, going to be doing a live 
workshop and showing people what she does, how the job works. Um, so get in touch with Helen through Primal Alternative and, and um, have a chat to her if you're interested in building up your own business that where you can work from home and help people with their health um, in a really practical way. Okay, so we're going to go on to the podcast now and I want to tell you a little bit about Beth. So Beth is the director of Little Fuss Pot, which she began I think five years ago. Um, she helps people from all over the world with meal times that are less than peaceful. And we all have been there. We've all had the tantrums at meal times from kids that don't want to eat what we're giving them. And you know, a lot of kids really struggle with just wanting the white food and the carbohydrates and they don't want their veggies or they don't want to try meat or they don't want to try, you know, all the things that the rest of the family eats. And it can be very stressful. And it may be just a fussy eater or it may be a problem eater. There's actually a difference between the two. Um, but Beth can help with both of these. And she's known as the super nanny of meal times. <laughs> she brings the core fundamentals of many different professions together to make a one-stop shop for all types of fussy eaters, from extreme fussy eaters that may limit to one or two or three foods to the just simply reluctant eaters that just you know, they, they want to cause a fuss each meal. <laughs> so Beth completed her clinical nutrition qualifications in 2012. And then she began creating therapy workshops, perfecting her courses, eliminating advice that's now redundant or counterproductive to raising happy, healthy children. She's always learning, researching new techniques and approaches. And she's just really right at the top of her game with tackling fussy eating. And she says that her constant research and development means, means that her methods are always evolving. They're constantly updated. And she shares them amongst a really supportive community that you can join. And the goal is making every bite count. So her main motivation for learning was um, food disorders in her own son. So you can hear about that on the podcast. And she's really passionate about helping parents to encourage their children with healthy eating and helping them to um, get over aversions to eating. But more than anything, um, she just loves being able to help families to have a much happier experience with and healthier children. And um, we talk about all sorts of things from um, particular foods that cause fussy eating and sensory processing disorder and uh, methods and how to avoid even having a fussy eater and where to get, when to get, get professional help. All these things are included in this podcast. So listen in and I hope it's really, really helpful for you. Thanks so much for being here and listening. And if you enjoy this podcast, please click through and have a look at Beth's um, website. And um, we'd love for you to go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating for this podcast <laughs> um, so that more people can hear it as well. All right. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Love you lots. Welcome, Beth. It's so good to have you on the podcast. How are you? Oh, good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's good. I'm hoping that we can talk about fussy eating and help some of the parents out there who find it very difficult to get their kids to eat well. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about you first and what you do and how you got into this? 
Yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I kind of fell into it, um, I, I guess. Um, As we often do. Yeah. Um, so my passion has always been about how food heals the body. I would much prefer sit down and watch documentary after documentary on food <laughs> and, um, and what types of foods um, should be eaten or avoided to um, either improve or avoid a certain condition. And um, so, I mean, and, and this was on my travels. Um, I lived in the UK for eight years and in Spain for five years. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I know you've just been there. Um, and, <laughs> Um, and while I was studying there, my husband was sort of tied up in work and we, I really wanted to move home. I, I'd sort of had enough of the travel, wanted to move home and start a family. But I thought, well, what am I going to do when I get there? Because I kind of put my life on hold. And I thought I'd, I'd follow um, my nutritional interest. So I buckled down and, um, and got studying and I completed that um, just as I was um, birthing my son in Spain oh. <laughs> um, with a big language barrier. Oh. And, um, and when I came back, I didn't do too much with it. But then um, as we started to introduce solids to my son, I noticed that there was actually right from the beginning, even um, when he was breastfeeding, I noticed that there was something not quite um, typical about the way he ate and he wouldn't feel hungry at all. Mm. And I, you know, I kind of pushed it out of my mind and just did the best I could to try and make sure yeah, he was um, getting enough calories in every day. And then it got to around 12 months of age when I noticed he was completely refusing all foods. Mm. He didn't like the sensation of food going into his mouth at all. Um, by this stage, we'd moved back to Australia. We moved back when my son was five and a half months old. So I was equipped with um, uh, information in my language, which, <laughs> which was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And um, we had, he was um, later diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder and a food neophobia towards green foods and also creamy consistencies. So green working neophobia, with, I haven't even heard of that before. It's a fear. It's a genuine yeah. fear and causes anxiety and the spike of cortisol around those foods. So it was yeah. new to me. That was very new to me. And um, so my instant go-to was what, what in his diet is causing this? Um, because I know that um, I've read um, Dr. Natasha's book mm -hmm. on GAPS and yeah. I know that uh, anxiety and behavioral symptoms can be brought on by food. Um, but at this point, he was literally only having, you know, pureed vegetables and I was feeding according to expert books that were around at that point. And, um, and so after the diagnosis anyway, fast forward to around, around about when he was two, I made it um, my mission to find out everything possible to help him overcome this sensory processing disorder. And what I noticed that my nutritional background is, is really what um, made the most from you know the the best difference because it it helped regulate his emotions and his mm. anxiety around food by just removing and changing a lot of foods in his diet um we also acknowledged that he had a vitamin b and zinc deficiency which was brought on by some of the foods in his diet mm. so coupled with that then i started to work by putting together a lot of um a lot of therapies in particular around um sensory enrichment therapies mm -hmm. and and you know today he would he would eat almost just about anything the only thing I haven't been able to get him to eat is avocado because of course <laughs> it is green and it is creamy so <laughs> uh, he just, too much <laughs> yeah well he will eat it in sushi my sushi was a big um okay. a, a big uh, um obstacle that we um we were 
were able to get into his diet last year because he oh, well got him, we've got him off gluten and dairy. So we went on the mission and we got, and you'll eat avocado in that, but picking it up and eating it knowingly, yeah. you know, he, don't he's worry, not, I have a couple of kids that won't eat it either. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that it's, <laughs> probably, teenagers. it's probably the texture I'd say. Yeah. But I, th- I was the same. I, I didn't mm. eat avocado until, I mean, mum used to put it in, in dips in, in guacamole. Um, mm. You know, that was, the, that, was the, that was the go-to dip in the 80s. Yes. And there used to be a big bowl of corn chips on the table and I just had my hands in the bowl just nicking all the corn chips. And she said, you know, I've got this big bowl of guacamole left here because you've eaten all the chips. And so she forced <laughs> me to eat it. <laughs> oh. And I eventually liked it. And then I started making it. I started perfecting it, putting um, different spices in there like cumin to yeah. Jush it up and, and it end up being my favorite thing. So, yeah, yeah. I just snuck it into smoothies. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can do that. And I can also get, um, yeah, raw nuts into smoothies yeah. for a bit of extra protein. So, yeah, so five years ago, um, I, um, I launched Little Fuss Pot. And what it was, mm-hmm. it was predominantly online, face to face with clients, walking them through um, 50%, obviously, the diet and how to change it. If you, mm-hmm. if you think the people that are coming to me are more so the, the children who are on probably carbohydrates, or refined carbohydrates about 90% of the time, and then possibly still a whole lot of milk in the diet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to start with basics. So talking about a GATS diet or anything like that is really far-fetched. Yeah. The first, <laughs> my first um, port of call would be to remove, or balance the diet first and then start swapping foods out to start to build a good biome. But um, certainly from the outset, what we wanted to do is um, just get the child off any foods that are causing the picky eating because there's a lot of foods that do. Mm-hmm. And then um, always be making improvements in the diet to get to the ultimate goal of only foods that nourish the body my motto is um make every bite count so that's that's a good motto it is it is that's what we aim to achieve at the end Mm. um can you expand a little bit on that concept that some foods cause picky eating there's a there's a few uh, in in different ways and shapes and forms i'll start with zinc zinc is probably one of the most important um minerals in the body that that we need it fights off cold and flus it helps us regulate our temperature um and it also um goes somewhat the way to helping hormones be released like ghrelin mm-hmm. ghrelin is one of the hormones that encourages us to feel hungry and when we don't secrete ghrelin that hormone we you know um we don't have the desire to eat so um often i will suggest trying a supplement of zinc for children because mm-hmm. it can you know um there's foods in the diet that will typically reduce zinc and um, one of those is chips yeah. you know potato mm. chips mm. and uh, um, fried food particularly fried food but if you right. think um, chips and chicken nuggets are usually a child's go-to when they're younger yeah. so they're common um common foods that will strip then you've got and then you've got the combination of foods as well so a child a child's go-to is carbohydrates. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it turns to sugars in the body. Yeah. And they love that dopamine hit when the sugar, you know, reaches the brain. Mm. And um, what you'll find is that that will be what they want. They'll get this spike in the sugar and that will just perpetuate itself throughout the day. They'll get a low, they'll want carbohydrates, the sugar goes up and down and up and down. And that also, as you know, will cause um, peaks and troughs in behavior as well throughout the day. Mm-hmm. But what what I find is that when you couple 
carbohydrates, especially refined carbohydrates, with other certain foods in the diet, in particular protein or dairy, it slows down the gastric system. It causes yeah. slow, slow gastric emptying and therefore, you know, the child is not hungry. One of the questions I ask clients when I speak to them first on the phone is, would you actually consider your child hungry at all? It, would, you, would you like to actually see a genuine hunger in your child and um, we often see that that is the case for children who are on you know um, heavy amounts of carbohydrates and dairy mm. but dairy has such a multi-directional uh, um, problem you know because uh, you know I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of research behind it yet but I've found that children on quite a lot of dairy will have problems with um, glandular type infections. Okay. Um, so trouble swallowing, um, adenoids, tonsils, ear infections, chest infections, all the um, respiratory type of glands, and that will cause them to be frequently sick. Coupled with that, a low, um, a low amount of zinc will, you know, not boost a, a great immune system. So we, what, what I try to do first of all is to balance, balance those foods out and to make sure that they're not being eaten at the same time. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, it's not really quiet. Um, yeah, I think when you say, when you say that, um, certain foods cause fussy eating. I was thinking, what does she mean? But now that totally makes sense. I understand what you're saying. That's really, really good. Yeah, it all just comes down to the balance, I guess. Um, mm. And you can balance. I mean, I was speaking with a client yesterday who, um, the, whose two-year-old child was still on purees and everything was pureed and hasn't oh, wow. an idea about food yet at all. And, mm. and she was quite sceptical. She goes, I don't think you can balance this diet out. And Actually, apart from purees, was on bread. So um, toast yeah. in the morning, sandwich for lunch, and usually toast in the evening. Um, and whatever puree she can get would be obviously with fruits and vegetables in it. And that was the only micronutrients this child was having. Mm. And um, you, you can balance even that out. <laughs> um, right. you, you can make sure the child's only having maybe one or two slices of bread and bring in some of the um, previous foods that a child used to like once you're removing dairy and the amount of refined carbohydrates mm -hmm. because the child's going to naturally feel hungry yes so we'll typically go towards the foods they used to eat in the past rather than new foods so the first thing we do is just try to get old foods back into the diet first once we remove some of the problems and then that's where we start to make some progress early on so you find that they'll they'll start to limit things that they used to eat because they're filling up on the bread and dairy and stuff yeah, it's mm. not just really the filling up. It's actually what it does um, mm. in, in the body. If you think and, – and, and often people go to dairy with the wrong approach. I've seen so many times, um, you know, I, I get clients to fill out a pre-consultation form and you see a lot that they will have suspected lactose intolerance when they're younger. But people forget that – Dairy isn't just made out of lactose and it's not the only problem in dairy mm. that, that causes um, digestive problems. We also have casane mm -hmm. and that is really difficult for children to digest. And if you think about the composite of breast milk as opposed to dairy, breast milk has maybe about, or depending on how, um, how thick your milk is, you'll either have between about 12 to 18% casane. Dairy has 80%. Oh, wow. so it's not it's not an easy thing for a young bub to to digest and if you mm. think about the fact that when um 
when formula is made, it's made with a whole lot of iron in there. Iron also slows down the digestive system. Mm. I mean, you, you, I don't know if you've ever taken iron tablets yourself, but the first thing it does is causes constipation. Yeah. <laughs> it's often, um, it's often a, a big problem that you've got dairy and iron in the same milk, you know, mm. because that will also um, cause that problem as well. Yeah, makes sense. So what about the idea of uh, um, if you just keep serving a food to a child, they'll eventually eat it? Um, well, that hasn't worked for anyone I know no. yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I cringe a lot when I see that because I'm yes. obviously on all of the picky eating, fussy eating, food neophobia um, and ARFID sites on Facebook, anyone I can find them on there. Mm-hmm. And I see that and oh, I mean, I don't even bother commenting anymore. Because, <laughs> you don't want to because, get in an argument. No, 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 not an argument. But <laughs> but there's just so much wrong with that yeah. um, that, I mean, you've got to find the cause first. There's exactly. So you've got to find the root cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that this child doesn't have a sensory processing disorder yeah. and um, is genuinely, um, you know, fearful and gets anxiety when they see that food, yeah. showing it to them every day. Um, mm, may may reduce the severity of the anxiety but if they're not hungry and they don't have any interest in that food and they don't eat anything like that food if you're going to serve up broccoli but they don't eat anything green not even kiwi fruit or a grape in their diet you've got buckley's of yeah. <laughs> eating eating broccoli yeah. so um i know a lot of therapists use the word food chaining i call it stretching food preferences but the that, that is part three in my course and it's the last because what we need to do a lot of groundwork as to what mm-hmm. the child's sensory preferences and avoidances are. Um, and I, um, this idea has been taken straight from the Sensational Mealtimes book, which is Making Sense of Mealtimes, the Gillian Griffiths and Denise Stapleton book. And mm-hmm. what they've done is they've got charts in that book. It's a great book for anyone. Um, it's a great starter book for anyone dealing with picky eating. And what you do is you map out all of the foods that your child currently eats with regards to the texture, the color, the shape and size, what temperature they prefer, everything. You analyze all their foods and you take that information and you say, right, my child doesn't eat anything green. They like a lot of crunch. They certainly love carbohydrates, anything beige, consistent and consistent. We mean package, obviously, because it never changes. Um, and so that really eliminates home cooking, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and we, but we take that and, and we say, right, of this sensory preferences, what is our child most likely to eat? And we start from there. We mm-hmm. don't just plonk broccoli on the plate yeah. um, 20 times and expect them to eat it. There's a lot of groundwork that has to happen first. And we certainly need to remove the cause um, before we get any progress with that type of therapy. Mm. So you've had a bit of... Um you've looked into gaps and you know like the theory there where you start to bring in the gut healing foods and Mm -hmm. then they will naturally start to expand their diet as their gut heals. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit, what, how you work that in? I don't particularly approach gaps. Mm -hmm. No, obviously, but just um, like how would you get some healing foods in first? Yeah, well, what I would... If you think that my course runs for six weeks, so if if the child's eating a balanced diet and has – I kind of loosely work towards the nutritional guidelines of Australia where they have to have protein, carbohydrates, um, fruits, vegetables – 
dairy I kind of loosely scrub out but <laughs> but you know I kind of work to the other ones I, I definitely reduce the carbohydrates unless they're whole foods you know yeah. but I do work towards the other three of having a protein a day um, fruits and vegetables if a child is eating that uh, but if a client comes in and they have a reasonably good diet, I mean, I've dealt with a um, an, an African lady and she had lots of fermented fish and vegetables and things mm, like that. And okay. that's when I would start working in the conversation of, well, does your child know what they're having? And if they don't know what they're having, I will start to make them more mindful of the food that they're eating. So that's the direction I would take that okay. because they've already got a really fantastic diet and probably has a really good gut. They just probably have no... Um, um, interaction with their senses you might say right so we we would probably do more therapy than we would nutrition mm -hmm. um, but the gaps is probably not a question it doesn't really it's not easy to bring that up in the first no six weeks. sorry i didn't mean um sort of starting them on gaps i meant you know the the principle of bringing in some foods that begin to heal the gut so that it quickens everything up so that they want to eat other foods is that something that you work in somehow yeah so it's it's easier. that would be down the track. I, yeah, I, I have a whole gut healing. In fact, um, Jo has, has a section in my course. She's a guest speaker and she, mm -hmm. she deals more with the, um, the actual gut healing foods and, yeah. and what, you know, how we should be starting children off, you know, getting it right from the first bite yeah. to her motto. Mm -hmm. um, she, does, she does a segment in, in my course on that. My job really is just to get them mindful about food and mm -hmm. also, you know, set in, set in front of them all the foods that they should be eating, mm -hmm. match that with their sensory preferences and get them working towards having those foods safely in a child's diet without there being any anxiety or gagging or, you know, mm. any serious aversions. Um, from there, I mean, I do regular talks on in, in my group therapy um, group on Facebook and that's when I can get into more depth of you know what what foods are really great for gut healing um, but typically what I'll do just so it's not another element in the course because there's so much it's so, so overwhelming for someone yeah. to do the first two weeks of my course that normally I'll say get the child onto a probiotic you know right. um, yeah in a smoothie something that's dairy free and live I would normally go that approach so that we're not you know, too pressured with putting foods in the diet that the child hasn't even seen before and then mm. start working from there. Yeah. So um, when you say beginning, okay, so you mentioned about beginning from tiny children, so maybe when they're first starting solids, um, is there some things that you would recommend for parents so that they avoid ever having a fussy eater or is it yes. just something, I mean, I know sometimes it's, you know, if they have a sensory processing disorder then you know, that's going to be a whole different ballgame. But maybe you could just talk about some things that people could do to start working towards having kids that eat well from the beginning. Well, you've got to, you, first of all, the, the theory behind, or the, the meaning behind sensory processing disorder is that the brain has forgotten to communicate with sensory receptors. Mm -hmm. That can happen and give the same um, same synapsis of symptoms as what um, a sensory processing disorder would be. So a disconnection or dormant senses presents the same, you know, the same reaction. They're really fearful of being around new food. Mm -hmm. So in the first part of the course, what I do is I get them to fill out a bit of a tick box because it might not just be food that they're really sensitive around. It might be loud noises. It might be um, heavy visual um, 
scenarios, might be too many pictures on the wall, might be a bird squawking in the background. I had a client who had a cockatoo that was right next to the table and the parents had no idea that this child wasn't eating because he was af- afraid of the bird. <laughs> um, yeah, simple things like that. Yeah. And, and so um, what... I suggest right from the outset is that you're always engaging your child's senses. Yeah. I've got, um, I, I've, I've just developed a, a, a placemat that's um, free for download where we, um, where we go around a circle in four steps and with every food that may not be too familiar, we um, draw a picture of it, colour it in. Yeah, they're holding it the, hus- the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. They're holding it in their hand yeah. and they're circling the shape, the colour. Then they, um, they have a talk about what it, how it feels to touch it. Is it watery? Is it soft, lumpy, dry? Does it crumble? Does it sprinkle like dust? And then to smell it. And this process is all about reconnecting with the senses. Mm. And that, I guess, from the out, I mean, obviously the placemat would be too young for uh, bubs, but just having them play with food, making mess, put down mm. drop sheets under the, under the <laughs> high chair, just have your child get real messy with food. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I really love that idea of that placemat. That's great. Yeah, it's it, it's free for download. Um, I I've recorded a video demonstration of how to use it as well, and so it's also maybe just give me the link and I'll put it in the notes afterwards for people. I, to look. I will do that. I've also yeah. I've also coupled it with an app. So um, I'm very um, we we I, I went off to a workshop with um, a, Dr. Jennifer Thomas. She's a um, researcher at the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Psychiatry at mm-hmm. Harvard University, and they've developed an app called um, called Fudo F U D O. I can mm-hmm. uh, I haven't been successful in finding the link, but um, okay. I can I can I can, <laughs> I can give you write it down. It's a, it's a little black. The, the icon is a little black and white dog. I don't okay. know why, but it's like um, Fido, Fudo. F- Fudo. It's F U D O. Yeah. I don't know. It takes you about 25 minutes to complete the food analysis in that app, but I pair mm-hmm. it with the placemat and this is particularly for school age children. Yeah. Um, and so it takes about 25 minutes. You go through these foods. Now, it has just about every food available in the world. Um, there's foods mm. in there I hadn't even recognized, and we certainly don't get in our supermarket. So you just okay. sort of skip past it. But it has the child analyze whether they've had it before, and if they haven't had it before, whether they're interested to learn about it. Now, this is from a visual perspective because, as you understand, children judge by the eye when they're yeah. not using their senses. And so that will get, that will spit out a list at the end of all the vegetables fruits proteins everything that the child is interested by the eye and it gives you just that you know that little um, step um, the yeah. first step a little edge <laughs> yeah it does and then from there we can use the placemat and all the, all the other um, therapy techniques in the course to start to see whether they want to take that um, learning further right that's interesting and so when um, you've got a really small child and you're just starting with solids do you mm-hmm. do you help them help parents with that kind of thing as well or do you have any suggestions there typically no I don't deal with the bubs I think there's enough information out there at the moment for you to make your own choice and there's experts out there um Jo Atkinson's probably the best one for that she she oh. runs a course online getting it right for the first bite and um she talks about the pros and cons of um you know there's typically two types of 
you know, suggestions with the way you can eat. You can either feed, feed by purees or baby led weaning. Mm. I, um, I'm a huge fan of baby led weaning. Um, however, she goes through the pros and cons. It's not for everyone. Yeah. And you've got to think there's children out there with tongue ties and, um, mm. and um, problems that will prevent them from being able to swallow foods um, from the outset. So there's, I think every, I think every approach needs to be taken with with caution. But yeah. um, uh, just getting back to the story I had, so my son, because he wasn't particularly interested in foods from the outset, I typically went with um, spoon-fed because I thought there's no way he's going to pick up food and eat it on his own cord. He's yeah. not hungry at all. Um, so I had one child um, fed that way. And it's really interesting, his journey, because he's been the, uh, he, you know, every food we've had to introduce to him, I could almost write a book, I probably will one day, every <laughs> single food that's in his diet that's good for him has a story or a way we've introduced it or yeah. a particular technique I've used for that food. Um, but with my daughter, she has, she was baby led weaned from six months and um, I've also documented her journey and there's nothing she doesn't eat. And she gets really messy with food still today. It bugs me a little. Yeah. <laughs> she can't keep a porridge in a bowl when she eats. She's nearly four. But, um, you know, uh, that's, that's the way she was taught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, son's a t- my, my son's typically a clean eater. Yes. But um, it, it has a very limited amount of food. <laughs> ah. So can you give us a couple of, exa- of examples of how you introduced a healthy food to him that was interesting? Okay. All right. I, I like to tell the story about the sushi because we, um, we, uh, so I've got him, I've got him off gluten and dairy. He's, mm-hmm. so when we had him um, diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder, he was having a lot of behavioral issues at the time. And I did, I did a lot more digging and a doctor helped me to try and find whether there's any other underlying issues and we found out he had pyrroles which reduces the body of vitamin b and zinc in particular Mm -hmm. and so we started supplementing with that and um we found that with administering that supplement he was much more open to his anxiety everything just diminished quite a lot um so we um we we started with rice Mm -hmm. and we started him started with him playing with it we started tipping it into cups, making sort of sandcastle-like things, and we started giving him sauce on the side of things to be able to make it colourful, but then he started to try it. We went through, similar to what the placemat is, um, an array of tick boxes on a piece of paper as to what he classified that rice to be, and all of a sudden he was eating rice. Great, we've done that. Now we needed the filler. We needed him to eat either a prawn or um, avocado. He's still not there yet, but cucumber, loves cucumber, um, anything to have inside of it. He would eat chicken. That was a problem. So we had that, but obviously the seaweed was going to be our biggest battle. So what we did is we started making it first. We re- I've recorded a lot of videos there in the course. We started making it first. I started making it with my daughter and he started to show an interest and I, he needed to come to me to say, I want to make that. If, yeah. if I were to force him, he would back away and I'd never get him to that table to make it. Mm-hmm. So we st- my daughter and I started making it and then uh, she, she has always loved sushi. So he's mm-hmm. always seen us eating it. I'm gluten and dairy free as well. I'm celiac. So sushi's yeah. my go-to. Um, and then he came one day, wanted to start making it. So I've got a video of that in the course of him making it. And then we went off to Sushi Sushi at our local supermarket mm-hmm. and asked there, I said, if we come in really early in the morning, can he watch it being made? And mm-hmm. so they let him in behind the scenes. They showed oh. him the, 
the the rice maker where it spits out the rice all evenly because you know we're obviously spreading it on you know with mm-hmm. the back of a spoon he was he was so enthralled and he's got a very mechanical brain so he mm-hmm. thought it was absolutely amazing that this rice was you know beautifully formed on this <laughs> and, and because it was such a perfect food and he's such a perfectionist and that he, he doesn't get messy eating it, we really exposed all the benefits of this food and that's what helped him to start to eat it. He won't have uh, soy sauce or, and certainly not wasabi like I, yeah. I would like it, but he's eating sushi oh, and he, awesome. he eats it willingly. He, oh, I can put it in his lunchbox and it will be gone by the end of the day. So, um, oh, yeah, that's that, really good. That, that well, was how we got him eating sushi. So interesting that you had to do each little step that that worked. Well, I made him my mission. We, we had him home every day during the holidays. Um, so I said, by the end of these holidays, I need him eating sushi. So we just worked step by step every day until we got him. And then lo and behold, that first week back at school, he had sushi and it came back clean every day. <laughs> That's so good. Um, it's really encouraging because I think, you know, we tend to, I guess for people who don't have kids with sensory processing disorder and, and you're not... Um, you haven't been trained how to teach your kids to eat well. You tend to just put it in front of them and go, just eat it, you know, like our parents did for us. That or you're sitting there until you eat that and it just doesn't work for some kids. Well, that or it, I guess it depends on your parenting style. Yeah, Either so. that or you just stick to what their safe foods are just to save mm-hmm. you the hassle of throwing that's it out it. every day. Yeah, that's it. Um, but I love these tips for ways to bring things in gently. And this is what I often say to people with changing adults' diets as well. Mm. Don't try to just completely turn everything over and upside down in, in one day. It's, you're not going to stick to it. You're not going to like it. You're going to hate it. You've just got to bring things in gently little by little. And it's just, yeah, same with kids. Um, you know what? This is really interesting. Sorry to cut you off. There. No, go, go. Um, your books were probably one of the best tools we had in our kitchen for slowly swapping out foods. Your first book was all the basics of what we were already having, you know, um, dairy replacement, um, gluten replacement, um, you know, refined grain replacement, all of those recipes were there. But the dust cover on that book is hanging on by the slightest thread. And so that's what I say to people in the course is that, just have a look at the diet and replace one thing at a time yes. and, and just don't buy it anymore. Wait till mm. it's finished, but then yeah. just work on replacing that with a bit of sensory play and, and encouraging the child to try different versions of that until one day you're making that yourself and he doesn't know the difference. Yeah, that's awesome. So things like tomato sauce, you mentioned sauce with the sushi. I know a lot of parents have to let their kids cover things in sauce so that they'll eat them. Um, do you mm. find that pretty common? I encourage that. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah, well, the reason why is because um, certainly children who don't like to get a lot of mess on their hands will avoid foods that are wet. So um, we start with just the regular tomato sauce out of the bottle. The reason mm-hmm. why is because they like consistency yes. and they know that mum hasn't tampered with it if it's in that bottle. Yeah. So we start with just your regular Heinz tomato sauce and we start getting them a little egg cup on the side of their meals. Mm-hmm. so that they're in control at all times as to how much sauce. But yeah. then I start to encourage parents to, if they're making a curry, um, you know, dumb it down so that it's not mm-hmm. spicy, maybe put an extra bit of coconut milk in it, but have that on the side in a neg cup next to the rice so that they can, you know, um, a pour a little bit on, yeah, be in control all the time. And so 
what I suggest, if you're making a pasta and you've got, you know, a beautiful sauce that you're having with the pasta, um, freeze it in ice cube trays and, and then pop them into Ziploc bags so that you're always got a sauce on hand for every meal. So, yeah, I love incorporating sauces in that way. What a good idea to, um, like I never thought of that, doing different sauces that they can have on the side because then you're getting all sorts of micronutrients into those. Yeah, well, I like to make my gravies with bone broth. Yeah. I mean, they won't. My, my kids will never just drink bone broth. I don't yeah. think I really have the taste for that either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we've got a big wood old sto- wood stove in the kitchen, and so mm-hmm. I'm always boiling up. Um, we've we also um, have our own lambs on the property, so okay. we've we've got I conserve all the bones for the winter and boil them all up and make all the bone broths for the year. Mm-hmm. And they won't just drink it like that. So yeah. I'll make up a big batch of gravy, probably about three or four liters of it, and I'll freeze yeah. that into um, cupcake trays so mm-hmm. that I can just pop it out and microwave it. And even if they're having sweet potato chips or something, it just dipped yeah. into that gravy. You know, at least it's somewhat nutritious. It's making every bite count. Um, That's awesome. Most mundane, you know, um, child-friendly food. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves gravy on things. Well, oh yes, family. It's always a fight for for the gravy. But you'll find, you'll, you'll find also as well, the more you encourage a child to have sauce, the easier it's going to be for you to around wintertime, of course, what we like is curries and soups mm-hmm. and stews and casseroles and all those really saucy type foods. And if you haven't incorporated anything other than the regular tomato sauce, it's going to be really hard for right. them to accept that. Or you're going to need to maybe just give them dry rice with dry chicken and, and vegetables yeah. that, you know. So that hasn't really progressed. So that's why I like just you know, giving them a little side sauce. That's a really good tip. Um, so how do you see, uh, so when kids start off with really limited diets, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you find that they can generally get to the stage where they're eating a, a very balanced normal diet? Does it take a long time? Or I guess it's different with everyone, but. Um, you know, some parents just feel like they'll never, ever get there. And can you just give us a bit of encouragement? <laughs> okay. Um, I guess it depends on the cause. There's, in the first part of the course, I guess this is what sort of sets me aside from, from other professionals out there is that I like to deal with the cause first because mm. if you find that it's a sensory issue, then you're going to pre- pedal hard with all the sensory therapies in the second part of the course. If yeah. it's diet, um, then you're going to um, take a lot from the menu plans and everything that I've got in the course and all the dietary advice and really pedal hard with that first mm-hmm. with the sensory on the side to make sure that they're, you know, accepting new foods into their diet. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, we get there with every single client. Um, I'd love to give you a little peek inside the group therapy, but every single day there's people on there saying they've got their child to try a new food. And I always ask, what therapy technique did you use? So it sort of educates other people on how yeah, they're getting great. success. But um, limit, we, even, even from the outset, I had a, a client a couple of years ago who was on, um, on Oreo biscuits and that's mm-hmm. it. Oreo biscuits and milk. Wow. And um, it was, it was, she, she didn't want to disturb the child or, you know, anytime she tried to encourage the child to eat any new food, it was met with a meltdown. This child mm-hmm. only wanted to eat that and that was it. It was probably one of the most serious cases I had mm-hmm. and um, 
we ended up having that child eat a whole array of fruits to begin with because obviously we knew that he had a sweet tooth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did that first. Um, but as the child got a little bit older, we were able to encourage more vocabulary and more awareness of what he's putting into his body. And we started to introduce the notion of good bugs and bad bugs. Oh, that's good. And what we do is we, I, I do this in, um, when, when I go to like classroom settings or daycare. So I'll get two big hula hoops out and one will be green and one will be red. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll have a picture with some really sad looking bugs that are really mean and nasty in the red hoop. And then I'll have um, a green hoop with, you know, lots of happy bugs and, mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like a garden floor of the picture. And what I'll do is I'll get them, I'll get a whole host of pictures or sometimes I'll bring in products and I'll say, look, I want you to put in this hoop what um, you think is going to be happy for the good bugs or, or good for the bad bugs. You know, the good, bad mm. bugs obviously make us sick and give us colds and flus and snotty noses. So, um, and the kids are really, you know, they really, it really opens their eyes as to yeah. what goes in each and it gives them a visual aspect to be able to really have a look inside what we need to, um, to build on to, to, to get a great gut biome. Um, but a child with a limited diet, so this child on, on Oreos, the first thing we did is just said, right, you've got to make these biscuits yourself. So we had to sort of scour the internet for chocolate <laughs> um, biscuit recipes that was somewhat healthy and we yeah. just sort of built it from there. We removed the dairy and I think that was the catalyst. Mm. The catalyst was that this child was hungry and but at the same time, he had no experience with other foods to be able to grasp onto. Mm -hmm. So once we moved the dairy, he was hungry. Then we built in a lot of sensory therapies around food. He was juicing every day, right? Wow. Um, a juicer, oh, my God, hands down, probably the only thing, if you have a, um, a fussy eater, the mm -hmm. only appliance I recommend everyone goes out there and grabs, I mean, apart from a Thermomix, but they're <laughs> <laughs> quite expensive, um, um, is a juicer. They're, oh, that's good. They're good the thing. best tool in the kitchen. Yeah. And a child loves, I mean, especially boys, they love the motor. They love, you know, yeah, true. not a noisy motor. If you've Squishing got an things through it. That's right. If, you, um, if you've got an audible sensitive child, one that you doesn't mm -hmm. like to be around vacuum cleaners or circuses or loud, you know, environments, mm -hmm. then make sure you get a slow masticating one. Yeah. Um, but the whole um, placing the fruits and vegetables down that chute, they're getting such a big um, education about what food does. And yeah. it actually shows them what happens when you chew food, yeah. which is the only tool in your kitchen that can possibly do that. Yeah, so true. The first thing we did is got this child juicing and, um, and started to build some micronutrients. And just like mm. that, the flick of a switch went off in his brain and he just started to want more nutritious foods. And that, yeah. we see a lot. We, we, we often say in the course, we, oh, that, that switch is flicked. It's flicked. Yeah. It's flicked, you know. When well, that's we start what I was talking about before with the GAPS foods. That's basically what I meant. Um, so when you get uh, nutrient-dense foods in, it does. It just flicks a switch and they start asking for fruit and veggies and it's so amazing to so many parents. They're like, what? What's happened to my child? It is, it is. It comes down to the education because I think if they've got – see, what parents often do is they only introduce foods around mealtimes. Right. And if you think about how many fights – 
and how much anxiety you've had as a parent around that table, around that mealtime, around that time of the day, then you typically, um, you're going to expect that your child's not going to be feel too comfortable about trying new foods at the table. They're going to be hyper alert and they're going to be, you know, their vision is also going to be highly sensitive. They're going to be yeah. detecting the slightest little change in their right. mashed potato or, yeah, you know, expecting it. <laughs> yes, expecting it. So the best thing to do then is, is do all of your sensory play outside of meal times where there's no expectation at all for food to pass the lips. Yeah. And so then if it does, then it's an added bonus. <laughs> it's an added bonus. We clock up those new foods. <laughs> we write them down and we count them to keep the momentum going. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, you, it sounds like your course is amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and where they can find it and what's in it? Okay. Do you have recipes in there? And, yes, I've got yeah. a whole um, I've got a whole recipe book um, in there that they're not typically gluten and dairy free. This just, mm -hmm. just happens to be our diet, but they are typical foods that you would normally introduce as a basic uh, food on a safe list of a child, you know, preschool okay. age. So mm -hmm. typically you'll have um, lots of muffin recipes. Um, things I, I don't like to hide foods mm -hmm. at all. So there's not a lot of that, yeah. but just basic ways of cooking foods, maybe with five or less ingredients, yeah. um, you know, that is quite easy. Um, there is so the first, like I said, the first part of the course is all about learning about all the different causes of fussy eating, so that it sort of triggers a little bit of a memory as to how you came about to have a picky eating child. Mm -hmm. Picky and fussy are two different things, but yeah. um, a, a problem feeder is normally who I steer towards the course because mm -hmm. you'll gain every everything you need to know. A fussy eater. There's only a couple of things you need to do and all of those resources are free online. So the placemat is free online. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll turn around a fussy eater with the placemat. I've also got another technique called the touch, blow, sniff, kiss, lick, nibble, which is all in visual format. So, <laughs> you said that um, so quickly. Oh, oh like I think I've said it. <laughs> I haven't thought of an, uh, an easier analogy to explain it. Um, on, on, on the forum, we call it TBSKLN. Um, uh, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Once yeah. More course but that that um tool is available for free just by popping in your email address on the on the front page and with those two tools you'll um you'll be able to eradicate eradicate mm -hmm. a picky eater um but a problem feeder they come with a whole host of different reactions that won't you know you won't get um a whole lot of result out of those two tools mm -hmm. because you've typically got a child who's really um has it has a huge emotional reaction of crying gagging vomiting or yeah um, anxiety around food. Um, they might have nutritional deficiencies that we need to iron out. They might have a rapid growth, growth decline, um, could have oral challenges as well. So they may not be able to move food around the mouth to chew, um, and might have, you know, frequent meltdowns when food is present or, um, you might have uh, a child that is so limited with the foods that it, that it, you can only count maybe 10 foods in the diet. Um, or perhaps the child will only eat with distractions, so TV, iPad, mm -hmm. technology, or a book. So, oh, actually, one of the one of the biggest um, signs of a problem feeder is that they're missing particular food groups. Mm -hmm. So, if you've got a child that doesn't eat any fruits or vegetables at all, that I would consider a problem feeder and and someone who needs help um, a little more than just you know the free resources yeah. I have online. So, not everyone needs the course. Just if you have some of those symptoms, and what's interesting is these symptoms. 
of a problem feeder, if ongoing, can lead to diagnosis of ARFID. And of course, I don't know if you know much about that, mm, but okay. that's that's our new juvenile eating disorder. It's different okay. to um, anorexia nervosa and bulimia is because it, it, they're not worried about feeling fat at all. You know, it's not mm. a body image that, that drives um, the lack yeah. of desire to eat. It's just that they have absolutely no desire to interact with that sensory quality of the food and it causes mm. them anxiety. And then the anxiety obviously perpetuates anxiety. So yeah. that's when I say solve a problem feeder. The younger you do that, the better, because yeah. these early interventions will come a long way to solving the problem. Um, you know, as you get on throughout the school years, it becomes a little bit harder because those, those, um, those habits are diehard. Certainly I'm still, I, I, I do deal with children up to the age of 10 and we get a lot of success, mm-hmm. but you have to put in a lot more effort yeah, <laughs> for these yeah. older kids. And they're at school most school, they're out of your care most of the day as well. That's so it. it's really yeah. hard to fit in um, sensory play around homework and you know, yeah. all of these things. And they know how to tell you no. Um, mm-hmm. A two or three year old, you've got a little more control, I believe. Yeah. So the first part of the course is I've, um, just nailing out, you know, what, what could have been that cause that many years ago? What could have been the cause of you to have a picky eater? The second part runs for around six hours and that's all the therapy and mm-hmm. I do it all in a um, audiovisual format they're all videos that you watch and then you download the charts and then you um, you work out what you think is going to be best for your child based on the first part of the course mm-hmm. and then you uh, and then we pedal the course for two weeks it's sort of sink or swim go off and try it yeah. <laughs> and then we come back and you know fine-tune it find out what's working there's so many therapies in there that if it becomes boring or mundane or it's not working there's the next thing you can try yeah, so good, yeah. not every therapy is going to work for every child um, mm-hmm. but you know um, certainly everything that's in that course is based around a lot of research and has been getting a lot of success with universities and problem feeders throughout the world so um, that's all in the course and I also have guest speakers that um, are professionals in the area as well to really you know it's a one-stop shop Mm-hmm. And so after that two weeks, we move on to part three, which is stretching food preferences. And we kind of slow down a little bit. The, the, um, we, we would have added a lot of foods to the diet already just by peddling the first two parts of the course. But we need to slow that down a little bit and just make sure that we manage a path that's easy for the parent and the child to um, move on with. So um, by this stage, you've got a good idea of what their sensory preferences and avoidances are. And Mm. that sets us up for an 80% success rate to be able to match new foods into the diet that they should Mm. like. So um, what we do is um, fill out a questionnaire of what foods they'd like the child to have. We might bring in the app if the child's old enough and and then work towards um, a list of six foods, either week or fortnight, depending on how quickly the child is willing to accept new foods into the diet we work with six foods either on a weekly or fortnightly or monthly basis Mm -hmm. it just depends on the pace that the child's willing to move Mm -hmm. sounds really um full-on but amazing it is full-on it's not a magic wand tell you that you've got to work at it so (laughs) how long does it usually take them to go through the course six weeks okay so that's and then they just obviously continue working on their own and um they still have a support group though yeah, that's still, yeah, yeah. Every, anyone who, or the, the course is with you for life because, I mean, some of these therapies, if you think that's I'm dealing with... thinking, you still have to keep working through things. Well, yeah, well, some of the therapies, the, um, it, it really, I, I've really made sure the course caters to children who are nonverbal or 
you know, and not old enough to be able to pick up language yet. So every single therapy in my course has visual cues to yeah. show the child what's expected of them throughout that, um, throughout that therapy. Yeah. But not only that, all of the therapies can be sort of interchanged. You can use them into <clears throat> progress charts. So okay. the touch, blow, sniff, kiss, lick, nibble, you can cut and paste and then put onto a progress chart. So you can show the child what progress they're making with particular foods. And then you can pick off the picture and, and you know, show the child that they're adding new foods to their safe list. So yeah. these so all of the tools sort of work to combine mm-hmm. each other. They, they're sort of multidirectional. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's, I, I, I had to make it really important that it was, it, it was suitable for children who weren't able to speak because if you think mm-hmm. that these children are having a lot of trouble with being able to process their senses, mm-hmm. we're going to be working a lot on that. Often what will happen is when we're working on the, um, the senses with around food, they stop being able to process language, really? right? Yeah. So um, they're, they're so super sensitive as to what, they, you know, their brain is really focused on that and the mm. amygdala is really, you know, working hard on making sure their stress system stays, you know, regulated around food that audibly, if you start trying to explain to a child the process of a therapy, it normally goes in one ear and out the other. So that's okay. why I build a lot of um, visual cues so that the child can actually look at that picture and know what they should be doing at that point. Wow, you put a lot of thought into it. It sounds amazing. <laughs> five years in the making. <laughs> oh, really? I was wondering. Yeah. I was five years you. in the making. I also worked with a lot of professionals to put it together as well. It's very impressive. Well done. Thanks. Well, we'll put the links to all the things that you've been talking about in the show notes if you can send those to me and then people can click through to that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention um, where they can find you, what you do? Yes. At the moment, I'm not running the course. Mm-hmm. I, I run it in. I run it twice a year. Okay. So I'm, I'm running people through the course now. We're on week two. This is mm-hmm. when they start peddling the course on their own. Yeah. <laughs> Getting mm-hmm. lots of emails. Um, yes. But um, I'm planning on running the course again around September time. But mm-hmm. there are free resources that you can download yeah. and start trying now. If you have a fussy eater, a picky eater, mm-hmm. um, it, it will be probably just. Um, a drop in the ocean to solve a problem feeder, but um, certainly, you know, working with the sensors, those tools are there for the, you know, for the interim before I launch again. But um, if you, I'll send a course link to the course page. And if you want to be notified when I'm running the course again, um, just pop your email address in there and then I'll start sending you some emails when I'm looking at launching. Okay. That's great. And you're on Facebook and Instagram or where are you? Yes, I'm all over the socials. Okay, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not the fun part of my job, but I, I guess I've got to be there. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you put out little you know, tips and stories and things on there or what, do, what kind of things do you share? Yeah, I'd say my Facebook is probably the place I like to update more often mm-hmm. and it's where I'm sharing um, little snippets of information from my group therapy as well. Right, so. Yeah. Um, Facebook is probably, I think it's easier to put a message across on Facebook than it is on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, and it's easy for people to um, sort of connect and have a discussion. That's right, because you've got to yeah. go via bio sometimes to get the information. I think that mm. sort of slows down the process. So Facebook is usually where I'm at. But okay. um, yeah, if, if Instagram's your thing there, I've, I've always got the bio updated. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for that. Not a problem. Um, well, it was really interesting and I, I, I learned heaps that I wish I'd known. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, that, that's my on. goal. 
that's my goal to nourish our next generation and, yeah, and eradicate these picky eaters. Pass, pass it all on to my nieces and nephews who are now having kids. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So thank you so much. It was lovely to meet you and talk to you and um, all the best with the course at the moment. I hope everyone goes well and, yeah, we'll be interested to, to hear about some of the stories maybe another time we'll, we'll um, yeah. get you back on. Oh, I'd love to come back on again, Joe. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.